my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 323. Hope you're doing very, very well. I'm excited for today's episode. I got to be very honest. Uh, I don't know when it's coming out. I'm having internet problems behind the scenes. I think it'll come out Tuesday night. It's up in the air. So I'm aiming for midnight Tuesday. It might come out Wednesday morning. I'm doing the very best I can. Uh, I I love you. I appreciate your patience. I want to dive in. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the Heisman Trophy. We're going to talk about the NFL playoffs. We will talk about Tua Tungvaloa. The Dolphins did not make the playoffs. Oh, crushing blow. I'll even show you my Dolphins jersey. Hey, I got it here. Like, it's a little corner teal. Ooh, it's there. Uh, we'll talk about Daniel Jones. We will talk about the fired NFL coaches, there were now there have now been six coaches fired. We'll break down the three new ones, and I think there's one that I probably wouldn't have fired. We'll talk about the NFL draft. A lot of stuff is up ahead, but I have to talk about this first. It is the thing that um, fired me up the most. So I don't want to mince words here. I want to just call it like it is. In Week 17, in the fourth quarter against Washington, the Philadelphia Eagles tanked, meaning they intentionally lost the game. And I've heard people say, like, well, it's up for debate. No, it's not up for debate. It's, is the sky blue? Yes. Does the sun come out every morning? Yes. Did the Philadelphia Eagles tank? Yes, they did. There's no, do not mince words. Don't pretend it's, well, what if they were trying to evaluate Nate Sudfeld? No, no. They were trying to lose that game. And uh, losing got them the number six overall pick in the NFL draft rather than the number nine overall pick. And at the start of the fourth quarter, down three points, 17 to 14, the Eagles took out their starting quarterback, Jalen Hurts, who was playing well enough to considerably or conceivably give them a chance to win the game. He had two touchdowns, uh, looked pretty solid. They put in Nate Sudfeld, their backup. He immediately had two turnovers, and you could see everybody in the Eagles' sideline was frustrated and annoyed and like, kind of wondering, like, why are we doing this? What's the point? What's happening here? And we have a lot to unpack. Uh, I, if I'd made this episode on Monday... I probably would have said something else. And I, I wanted to take my time and take a deep breath and think about it and not immediately react to what happened because I just, I want to have a clear mind when I talk about this topic. And I think, first of all, I mean, there's a lot of parties to talk about as a result of the Eagles tanking and what happened. Uh, but I want to start by saying I feel bad for the players on the Philadelphia Eagles. Coaches too, but more so the players, their bodies are on the line. Uh, any kind of football player, you work incredibly hard all week to prepare for a game, especially at the highest level. Your body's on the line every week. You put your body in. Your families are on the line. Your body's on the line. I'm meaning your families are all in on what you're doing and your season. And it's your job and your livelihood. And so week to week, you're fighting incredibly hard to win a game. And so I understand why Philadelphia, and really the head coach, Doug Peterson, did what he did. He wanted to lose that game to get a better draft pick for next year. And I understand because at some point you're you're four eleven and one, uh, you're not really fighting for anything this year. You might as well lose because at some point your bad losing record becomes about next year. Your season, the whole focus will shift and be okay. Now we're fighting for next year because our season is over. And Philadelphia was fighting for nothing. Winning that game really benefits them nothing other than denying a division rival Washington a chance at the playoffs. It would have been fun to play spoiler. Um, but here's really the biggest thing that could be lost by Philadelphia tanking in this game. And it's lost trust. Your head coach, Doug Peterson, uh, a lot of players in the locker room and in the really in the organization, people feel like a sense of mistrust going, well, we didn't know this was the plan. And you can't really, if you're Doug Peterson and you're planning to lose the game, first of all, he wasn't planning to lose a game going in. It's not until you find out, oh, other teams lost. Remember, it's the last game of the entire regular season. Now you go, huh. If we have an opportunity to lose the game, it does benefit us to lose. And it felt like a shift at the end of the game. Like, we played three quarters. Now in the fourth quarter, we're going to take a move and try to lose the game. And so I want to, first of all, say this. I had a college coach who made moves I didn't agree with and said stuff to me behind the scenes I thought was incredibly wrong and inappropriate and weird. And it caused me to lose his trust. And I knew the moment I lost his trust, it was over. And so if you lose trust with a coach, it can really, I mean, I, I know if I was playing for the Eagles, I was the kind of guy who if I was playing and our coach intentionally decided to lose a game. I'd never want to play for the guy ever again, ever. I'd be like, what? We worked all week. We had a game plan. We had this, we had that. We were in the game. It was close. It was a three point. We were down three points. 
And now you're not going to try to win as a competitor. I would have been so frustrated. And I, I got to tell you, I don't, if I'm a player, I go, I can't play for Doug Peterson ever again. I think that I understand any player who has that reaction. I get it. And I, the players I really feel bad for. So I, man, and even like Chris Collinsworth, the announcer on the game, the broadcaster said, I, I would not have done what Philadelphia did. I couldn't have done it uh, in the spirit of the game. And that's an emotional argument, but it's true. I mean, I, as a player, I was, I could not have trusted a coach unless he told me going in, Hey, we might tank. It's going to benefit us. Like without knowing the plan, that sudden shift and especially my body on the line, like an offensive lineman, you saw the offensive lineman in that game looked frustrated and upset. And Jason Kelsey sitting there going, man, like this is not right. I understand all that. And what I don't understand are, because uh, there are a couple other parties of interest. So I feel bad for players completely. Uh, Eagles fans, I don't really understand why they were mad they lost the game. You had a, a losing season. You were not going to make the playoffs. Like I, any Eagles fan who's mad, the only reason you can be mad is, well, hey, maybe you ruined your locker room culture forever. If, that, if you're mad about that, fine. If you're mad about losing the game to Washington, who cares? Losing the game actually, on paper, helped Philadelphia. They have a better draft pick for next year. Maybe they trade down. You never know what they're going to do with that draft pick. Having the number six overall pick is much better than the number nine overall pick. So I really don't understand Philadelphia fans who are mad at their team. Unless, of course, you're mad that, well, now our locker room culture is ruined and we don't trust our coach. All that makes sense to me. But if you're mad about the loss specifically, (laughs) why? Losing helped you. Now, the Giants are mad. Giants fans, the Giants head coach, Joe Judge had a long emotional rant. I think a compelling rant, but he definitely appealed to people's emotion. Uh, Giants players were incredibly frustrated because, you know, they beat the Cowboys on Sunday. And if the Eagles had beat Washington, the Giants would have made the playoffs. And they felt like, well, hey, you literally didn't, you, you tried to lose and it screwed us over. So people feel a sense of frustration. They got screwed over in New York. And I, on one hand, I sympathize with that. Uh, I kind of get you feeling cheated, uh, especially like if Philadelphia had fought hard and lost, you're like, okay, well, we did our best and we still lost. But because Philadelphia didn't give it everything they had, you're like, you had a sense of hope and then it got ripped away from you. I understand the pain and frustration of that. However, I got to push back a little bit. Anybody in New York who's furiously angry at Philadelphia, guys, uh, the Giants went six and 10, <laughs> six and 10. You missed the playoffs. I mean, I've got a crazy, anybody complaining, I have a kind of novel, maybe crazy, outlandish idea. How about you have a winning record before you complain about not making the playoffs? I know that's harsh. I know that's weird. But, like, I don't really understand. The Giants, week one, start of week one, had complete control of their destiny. They had a bad losing season. You can't be mad you missed the playoffs. I know you're mad at Philadelphia, but don't be mad at another team for screwing you over. Be mad at your own team for not taking care of business week one through 17 when it mattered. I don't don't understand I, I get the feeling of the injustness of getting screwed over by Philadelphia, but you, from week one on, had control of your own destiny, and you had a 6-10 and 10 record. I, I don't, you can't complain about not making the playoffs when you're a 6-10 and 10 football team. It's just weird and wrong to me. Uh, although I will admit, I thought that Joe Judge's pseudo-speech uh, at a press conference was very compelling, fired me up. I, I really like Joe Judge. I think he's a great guy, especially in the media with PR. Man, what he said... That plays really well in New York. I think fans are even more on board with him now. Um, and I, I feel good about Joe Judge moving forward. But I, I got to say again, if you're a 6-10 and 10 football team, you should not complain about not making the playoffs because you didn't take care of business when it mattered most. I mean, I guess you could argue you did. You beat the Giants. But what about week 1 through 16 before that? You beat the, the Cowboys, I mean. But what about the weeks before week 17? You didn't have a winning record. I, I don't have a lot. I have a little sympathy because of the injustice of what happened. But my my sympathy meter is on pretty much empty because of, again, you had a bad season to, in total. Now, I want to talk about Chris Collinsworth, the broadcaster for NBC doing Sunday Night Football. I've seen a lot of articles, people saying Chris Collinsworth might be in trouble with the NFL. And uh, even on the broadcast, uh, Chris Collinsworth literally had a line. He said, I'm trying not to get fired here. And Chris Collinsworth better not be in trouble. So during the broadcast, Eagles, Washington, the Eagles clearly were trying to lose the game. They were tanking. And I actually want to give credit to Chris Collinsworth. He kept trying to give every opportunity of uh, every kind of 
little bit of benefit of the doubt he could to Philadelphia. He said, well, maybe they want to give Nate Sudfeld an opportunity. Maybe they want to see what he can do, try to evaluate him. And then he said, well, personally, I don't understand it because I would want to see Jalen Hurts, what he could do in a three-game, uh, in a three-down down three points in the fourth quarter of an important game. Um, wouldn't you rather evaluate, you know, the, the guy who might be your starting quarterback, Jalen Hurts, next year? And the idea that Chris Collinsworth could be in trouble with the NFL, or maybe even fired, but even is in trouble at all for pointing out what Philadelphia was doing, is absurd. I mean, I, I want to say this. As a broadcaster, whether you're a weatherman or a podcast host or a TV, whatever, your job is not only to the company you work for, but also to the people listening to what you're broadcasting. And, I mean, imagine if I walked outside and said, you know what? The sky isn't blue today. Uh, it's red. And you're like, uh, unless there's like a bunch of smoke, like there was earlier this year when the world is burning down to, to a crisp on the West Coast. For the most part, the sky is not red. The sky is blue. And if, if the sky is blue and I say it's something else, you're going to go, well, that's weird. I don't trust you because you're lying. It doesn't make any sense. And so Chris Collinsworth's job is to be honest and to say what he believes. And I've always liked Chris Collinsworth. I know a lot of people hate on the guy and he's got some boneheaded moments for sure, although I would dare anybody get on live TV and talk for hours and hours and hours at a time. It's way harder than anybody gives it credit for. Uh, but Chris Collinsworth was just being honest and doing his job and saying what he saw in front of him. And if you're watching in New York, you were furious because your team is getting screwed over because the Eagles were clearly not trying to win that football game. And you have, a, a I think, a responsibility to your audience to be honest about what's in front of you. Chris Collinsworth was like, yeah, uh, this is weird. I couldn't do it. And he said everything but the word tanking. I watched very closely. I took in detailed notes. Chris Collinsworth never actually said, wow, the Eagles are clearly trying to lose. But he hinted at it over and over and said everything but that. And so the idea that Chris Collinsworth could be in trouble is absurd and ridiculous and stupid. It's part of why I never want to work for a network if I can avoid it. I like what I got going on the internet. Got a big audience. I'm totally happy. And um, I, I just, it's so crazy to me that <laughs> by observing what's happening in front of you, Chris Collinsworth could get in trouble. How about you, you find the Eagles or do an investigation into Philadelphia? If the NFL hates tanking that much, hey, blame the team. Get in trouble. You know, Focus on the team who's doing it rather than the broadcaster who's simply being honest about what's going on. Very weird to me. I don't think Chris Collinsworth's going to get fired. He shouldn't. Uh, and if he does get fired, it's because they hate him for another reason. And this is just a reason to get rid of him. Kind of like you have a, a girl who's like, I broke up with him because his brown shoes were stupid. It's like, well, there's no way you broke up with a guy because you didn't like his shoes. You hated something else about him. This was just the straw that broke the camel's back that gave you a reason to fire him. So if by any chance Chris Collinsworth gets in big trouble and gets fired, it's not really because he pointed out the factual information that Philadelphia was tanking. And I wanted to have a whole segment about that because it, oh man, it drove me nuts to see that. Like, really, Chris Collinsworth is under fire for being honest? How stupid is that? And I, I just, man, the corporate world, what a weird, weird reality. And again, like, it's even weirder. Uh, have you not watched the Jaguars at all this year? <laughs> like, uh, Gardner makes you sitting on the sideline, twiddling his thumbs going, I'm your best quarterback. Can I please play football? And Jacksonville's like, nah, nah, we're going to go to Mike Lennon. We're going to go to Jake Luton because that's what if we think is going to help us win football games. A rookie quarterback was drafted in the sixth round from Oregon State, Jake Luton. Okay, Luton, I don't even know his name. I don't even care enough. Um, it's like, come on, guys. You're going to get mad at Philadelphia for tanking for one quarter of an entire season. And then look at, be totally honest about what happened with the Jacksonville Jaguars. You think they weren't trying to lose a little bit? Once, especially like, once it was a real possibility they could get the number one overall pick in Trevor Lawrence, you think they weren't like, well, we better, like, hey, you're kind of injured today. And you know what, Gardner Minshew, we, we really don't think you have a, they weren't fighting to win. Are you kidding me? So I just, it's a bit disingenuous that everyone's mad at Philadelphia while acknowledging that there are other teams in the NFL. Clearly, I think specifically Jacksonville, who um, appeared to be tanking at the end of the year uh, and trying to lose football games. It just wasn't as subtle. And I think people are mad because it was a game with playoff implications and the final game of the year, all eyes on that game. It's a primetime game. It was too obvious what Philadelphia did, but other teams had done it all year. And so it's a bit weird that we chose to focus and hone in on Philadelphia's evil and wrong. Well, okay, like, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't have done it. 
I don't, but I also understand why they did it. And I think if you're any mad at Philadelphia, let's do some investigations into other teams as well. Like, I, I guarantee I would love to watch the practice film of Mike Glenn and Jake Luton and Gardner Minshew. I would have a, a pretty strong belief that Gardner Minshew is the best quarterback out of those three, but he didn't play again this year. Like, he, he got benched and then, well, hurt and then benched and then they, for some crazy reason, never brought him back. Their best quarterback. Like, they're not trying to win games. So, I don't know. Kind of weird. But again, uh, I feel bad for the Eagles players. I just, if you're a player who's trying to win a football game, putting your body in the line, all this preparation, you put together a game plan, you did all the work only to have your coach pull the rug out from under you and say, we're not trying to win. And apparently Philadelphia, there were people in the locker room and on the sideline, very angry. They had to be physically restrained from Doug Peterson in his face, very upset about it. So uh, I just, man, I I hope Doug Peterson, I hope it's worth it. Do you have the number six overall pick, but you might've ruined your entire locker room culture to move up three places in the NFL draft. I hope it was worth it. Cause if you're, your culture's ruined. I mean, I know he won a Super Bowl, but those players that he won a Super Bowl with are mostly gone. And I, things change quickly. Like all it takes is one play, one veteran guy who is listened to in the locker room to go, man, Doug has changed. Man, Doug, we lost, lost Frank Reich. Frank Reich is why we won a Super Bowl. Like a couple seeds of doubt and a couple veterans saying, oh, this is nonsense. Bam, you lose the locker room. So I hope Doug Peterson doesn't lose the locker room for his sake. Uh, but if he lost the locker room over a three picks in the NFL draft, I mean, that that's a, a gigantic mistake in my opinion. So uh, we'll see what happens in Philadelphia. And uh, there's there's definitely going to be more coming out of the story. as Maybe as the draft happens or as the years go on, this could be a key moment where everybody in Philadelphia lost all faith for their head coach, Doug Peterson. Okay, um, I want to say real quick, I'm so happy for Washington. The Washington football team made the playoffs out. In a rather ugly fashion, they went 7-9. and nine. They barely won their division full of really bad football teams, the NFC East. However, I, I got to say, like I, Washington, first of all, went through a lot off the field. Their, their name changed. Um, you know, the owner in trouble with impropriety. A lot of stuff. Uh, a lot of sexual impropriety stories in the offseason. Like, hey, a tumultuous offseason for Washington, which I have really no sympathy for the owner. I, really, I kind of hate the owner of Washington. I'm not a fan. I wish he would get out of there. Um, I, I have a lot of problems there, but what I do like about Washington is their head coach and their quarterback. And I think the players who have no blame, they don't control the ownership does. And so, uh, first of all, you have Ron Rivera, their head coach who was battling cancer, you know, during, on, on the sidelines and at halftime and in between practices, like Ron Rivera is an amazing story of a guy who, you know, he had his final cancer treatment mid season, got rid of it. Uh, he's coaching after that. He made the playoffs in his first year in Washington after getting fired by his former coach, Car- uh, Team Carolina. I, I love that so much. I, I like Ron Rivera. He's incredibly compelling. I don't know how you can not like Ron Rivera and like what they're building there. Logan Thomas is cool. They got some good young players, Terry McLaurin, Antonio Gibson. There are good young players in Washington, and they're developing a good culture. And most importantly, Washington is very well coached. They're disciplined. They do the right things. Uh, they drafted Chase Young, number two overall. And I, I, I did question it last week. I said, well, what if, I wondered, is Washington going to ever regret, you know, drafting Chase Young rather than Justin Herbert? I don't know that that's, I, I want to bring that up because I'm sure Washington fans listen to that and angry at me. I don't blame you. As I think about it more, I go, well, I don't know that Justin Herbert would have developed the same way he did in Washington as he did in uh, LA with the Chargers. But also look at what Chase Young has become. Uh, you heard during the broadcast, people were saying he's literally become a somewhat of a Ray Lewis type leader in that locker room. He's a rookie. He's a captain. They love him. They follow him. Uh, I think so. <laughs> they're not going to regret drafting Chase Young ever. He's awesome. He's a great player. He's a great leader. He's incredibly talented. And uh, I'm I'm excited for Washington there. I also get to give a shout out to their quarterback, Alex Smith, who fought back from a potentially career-ending injury. It's an unbelievable story of a guy who almost lost his leg, almost died, had bacteria, like flesh-eating bacteria on his leg. He's got a weird, crazy brace. It's, it's a mess, and I really can't believe Alex Smith is playing football at all, but he is. He's playing well enough to make the playoffs. It's pretty cool. And um, I, I got to say this because I don't, I, I don't think Washington is going to win their playoff game. I would imagine they're going to lose to Tampa Bay. However, they do have a real chance. They have a real opportunity to beat Tampa Bay in the wild card round, they're well coached. 
the Buccaneers at times, while the Buccaneers are playing very well, they're really hot, they're on a roll, they are at times very undisciplined. And Washington is the opposite. They're, they're not as talented as Tampa Bay. I mean, actually, it's kind of crazy how opposite Washington and Tampa are. Tampa is incredibly talented and often incredibly undisciplined, where Washington is really not that talented, but, man, are they disciplined and well-coached and organized. And so it's going to be a very interesting matchup, and I think if any team from the NFC East was going to have a real opportunity to beat Tampa Bay. I know the Giants did it earlier this year, but I don't think the Giants team we're seeing now is quite the same as what we're seeing we saw earlier in the year. I think really the difference too is Tampa's better. So I think a better Tampa team against the Giants now, Tampa wins more easily. But Washington gives me pause. If anybody can beat Tampa Bay, it is Washington uh, from that division, the NFC East, I mean. And uh, I just, I, I love the story of Washington. I want to give away award, give away an award at the end of the year. Uh, the story of the year. It's kind of a, it's my own spin on comeback player of the year. And what's crazy is Washington really has two candidates for that award. You have Ron Rivera, the head coach, battling cancer, and Alex Smith, the quarterback, coming back from a potentially career-ending injury. It's an unbelievable story all around. And uh, I'm really, I'm happy for Washington, even if I hate their owner. I really like their head coach. I really like their quarterback. And I, uh, if I'm a Washington fan, I feel very good about my team moving forward. You got the right coach. Uh, I think at some point you got to get a younger quarterback who can be your franchise quarterback of the future. But oh my goodness, uh, I really am excited and happy for the Washington football team. I'm glad they made the playoffs. Well done and a round of applause from me. Let's talk about the Giants quarterback, Daniel Jones. Somebody wrote into the show on Patreon last episode and they wrote in saying that the kind of the idea was, is Daniel Jones, the Giants quarterback, the frozen pizza of NFL quarterbacks. And I loved it. I think it's phenomenal. Uh, I watched the Giants and Cowboys game on Sunday. Daniel Jones was fine. He had two touchdowns. Um, uh, He had a fumble, but it was like a a handoff, and it was kind of weird. I don't really blame Daniel Jones for that. Um, I I, I love the idea of, first of all, Daniel Jones played well enough to win on Sunday. So I, I, I like Daniel Jones. I don't love Daniel Jones. I've never been in love with Daniel Jones, but I think he's very okay. He's fine. He's a capable... He's a solid starting quarterback, but I think nothing more. I've always said, people think I hate Daniel Jones and he's awful. No, I said he's fine. He's totally fine. But that's it. That's where that's where the sentence ends. It's he's fine. Nothing more, nothing less. And so the, the frozen pizza analogy is perfect. I mean, you, you, I love pizza. It's probably my favorite food. Uh, I'm even like a glutton. I love the, stup- the crappy, cheap Costco pizza, which, by the way, is not crappy. It's just terrible for you. It's like two bucks for a slice of the gooeyest, cheesiest sludge of pizza you've ever had. And you just, oh, it's amazing. It's nothing compared to New York pizza. I've had New York pizza. It's amazing. Uh, But I love pizza. And so the idea that Daniel Jones is the frozen pizza of NFL quarterbacks, meaning that, like, you're happy you have pizza, but it's frozen pizza. It's really not your first option. You would never choose that uh, if anybody gave you any other option. So that's what Daniel Jones is. He's fine. Overwhelmingly fine. uh, But he's never your first option. And you would much rather have something better if you could. And so I just want to put that out there. I think Daniel Jones is okay. I think uh, we'll see. I mean, they have, I, I think they're going to stick with him because they really can't afford to do anything else at quarterback. Um, but I I want to put that out there. I, I, I love the idea. Whoever, I, I think, who wrote, you know, it was a guy named Daniel C. Weirdly enough, his name was also Daniel, wrote in about the frozen pizza analogy. I loved it, and I thought it was perfect. So Daniel Jones is the frozen pizza of NFL quarterbacks, and I think it's amazing. It's like a, it's the most perfect way to put it I could ever imagine. So Daniel C., thank you for writing in on Patreon last week, or last episode. I thought I nailed it, and uh, there you go. I want to take a short break. When I return, we'll talk about Tua Tungavaloa. We'll talk about the Miami Dolphins. Then we'll talk about the Cleveland Browns. We'll talk about uh, the Heisman Trophy, the NFL playoffs in general, uh, the Broncos. I think Drew Locke is in trouble. We'll talk about the NFL draft. A lot of stuff is ahead. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope we're doing very well. Uh, let's talk about Tua and the Dolphins and, frankly, uh, my disappointment. The Dolphins lost to the Buffalo Bills on Sunday, 56-26. to And as a result, they missed out on the NFL playoffs. And, uh, oh, I was sad. I, I really like Tua. I really like what Miami's done, building their team. And it's kind of disappointing that in the biggest game of the year, 
they lost by 30 points. I mean, it's like, ugh, it's not good. It's embarrassing. It's pretty terrible. And uh, I guess really the reality is what, what boils down to, what Sunday boils down to is this, this sentence here, which is that if Sunday was a test for the Dolphins quarterback to a Tungaloa, the rookie quarterback, if it was a test, he failed. He did not deliver what needed to be done. Not only did he not win, he didn't play very well. And I, I didn't need Tua to win the game, but I needed him to play well and do something uh, to, to, to walk away feeling good about him. And I, I just didn't. He had three interceptions. He struggled to push the ball downfield. Uh, the biggest play for Miami on the day was a trick play where their backup quarterback, like a kind of their gadget athlete, threw, a ball, threw the ball downfield to Miles Gaskin. And I got to say also, if I have to watch Tua throw another screen or slant again, I'm going to go crazy. It was like slant, slant, two-yard out screen, screen, slant, screen, slant, screen, over and over and over again. And I'm like, guys, please. And then when he did try to push the ball downfield, it was either the ball was dropped or incomplete passes were thrown inaccurately or he was intercepted. It wasn't a pretty good effort at all by uh, the Dolphins on offense. And I hate saying it, but because, look, I love Tua. I think it's it's well documented. Tua is uh, fantastic. I love the family, love his story. I'm a big, I love Hawaii. He grew up in Hawaii. And so I uh, I shamelessly root for Tua because of that. But man, um, Tua's rookie year has been very, very unimpressive. When you compare the way Joe Burrow was spinning the ball and throwing the ball well downfield and accurately and making big completions. And, and then Justin Herbert blew me away this year. Like, oh my gosh. And I, I don't need Tua to be the flashiest, best player ever. But man, uh, he really struggled to, he was not explosive at all as a quarterback. And I want to prove to you guys, like I, I love Tua. I own Tua's jersey. I only own one NFL jersey at all. I only, I've never owned a single NFL jersey until I owned this Tua Tungabloa jersey. I love Tua. He's my favorite player. And so I, I hate to say ill of him. I love the guy. But my goodness, um, he, he just wasn't what I really wa- I still love the person. The quarterback has me doubtful. And I, I really the reality is that Miami has a decision coming up. They've got the number three overall pick in the 2021 NFL draft. Uh, they also, by the way, have two first-round picks. They have the number three overall pick and the number 18 overall pick. And they either are going to draft a quarterback uh, to replace Tua or build around Tua, say, you know, doubling down, saying we believe in the guy and we're going to build an offense around Tua. And there's a lot of options here. Number one, you could trade Tua to another team who's happy to have a young quarterback who's late, like uh, a team that's farther down in the NFL draft. He's like, we'll take a talented quarterback and we'll give you what we can for him. And then you draft probably Zach Wilson to the number three overall pick. Uh, But imagine if you don't have to spend a draft pick replacing Tua. You could probably get either Panay Sewell, uh, who if you know if Jacksonville drafts a quarterback and the Jets draft a quarterback, you could potentially draft Panay Sewell uh, with a number three overall pick. He's a probably a generational talent out of uh, Oregon at left tackle. He's there's a I, I'm so sorry I'm forgetting the name. There's an a a guy who was a staple in Baltimore for years. I, I'm I'm really I wish I wasn't blanking on his name. But if, if you said his name, I'd know who it is. There was this left tackle in Baltimore with the Ravens who played for like 15, 16 years. He was amazing. Uh, and he was kind of the, the best we've seen in a long time. Panay Sewell has a similar feeling. If this guy is going to be your franchise left tackle for 15 years. He's going to be phenomenal. He's a massive dude who's also way more athletic than he should be for that size and incredibly talented and well-coached. His head coach, uh, Mario Cristobal, was a... Uh, lineman and, and so he is really well coached at Oregon and so imagine if you can draft Panay Sewell left tackle and then a guy like and even if it's Panay Sewell's drafted by the Jets you could draft um Dante Smith who just won the Heisman at Alabama a great receiver and then maybe Kyle Pitts or Jalen Waddle with the 18th overall pick like you can have an amazing team built around Tua if you can use those early draft picks on offensive players and part of the problem with Tua I will I gotta say like Maybe Devontae Parker's good and he's fine, uh, but the Dolphins really have lacked um, talent on offense to build around two and help him. Mike, Mike Gusecki, their tight end, is one of their best players. And Mike Gusecki, love the guy. He's not one of the best tight ends in the NFL. He's overwhelmingly fine. And so part of the problem with Tua is that there isn't a lot of talent around him. And it's very possible that if you build around Tua, wow, they could take a big step forward and he could be a lot better next year. 
But also, you, you could draft Zach Wilson. And Zach Wilson um, did stuff in college that made me go, wow. Like, eye-popping, you know, head-turning stuff. And he's polished. He throws the ball very well. Kind of a – reminds me – this is a kind of an unfair comparison, but with the effort and the – well, I guess with effortless nature and the ease of Aaron Rodgers, the, the way they throw the ball. Zach Wilson throws the ball in a way I could never even dream of doing. It's like, oh, it's beautiful. It literally – and I'm not a sucker for that stuff, but, man, it just – effortlessly and easy and beautiful and can run around. And it's, it's really like, if I'm a, uh, a general manager in the NFL, I'm like kind of salivating going, mm, like imagine what we could do with Zach Wilson as our quarterback. And so I'm on the fence. I need more time. I, I can't tell you what I would do if I was Miami, uh, the way I do mock drafts. I don't do a mock draft trying to predict what teams are going to do because teams are unpredictable. Frankly, human beings are sometimes stupid. So I, I can't tell you what, an NFL team is going to do. But when I do a mock draft, I will tell you what I would do. And so when that time comes, I'll tell you, if I was Miami, here's what I would do in the first round. I'm just not there yet. I haven't made a decision. I need to watch more film. I know we need a film analysis very soon of Tua. Should we keep him or get rid of him? Um, But I'm on the fence and I need more time to evaluate. But I think maybe the fact that I'm on the fence is pretty telling. Uh, I shouldn't be. I'm like almost, almost a fanboy of Tua. And if I'm concerned about Tua and I'm considering maybe replacing him, you know it's not good. And my girlfriend has to think. My girlfriend is uh, a minimalist in the best way possible, and she um, gets great pleasure in throwing things away. And she's got a principle, she said the other day. If it's not – I don't want to cuss on the show. If it's not an F yeah, it's an F no. If, if, when you look at – if you're looking at your closet and you're like – of course I want to wear that shirt. Then you keep the shirt. And if you're not, of course I want to wear that shirt, you're going to pick something else every single time. And if you're going to pick something else every single time, eventually get rid of the shirt. And it might be the same with quarterbacks, where if you're not, of course, and all in on Tua by now, that's very telling and maybe even very problematic. So, um, man, I, I, I'm not ready to say I'd move on from Tua yet, but it's certainly worth considering. But I also got to say, like, imagine what you could do if you don't have to waste a pick on a quarterback. And waste is a relative term because you're the Dolphins and you're building a team and you really need a young quarterback. But if you could use the pick other way, in, in another way and really build around Tua, imagine the players you could get with two first-round picks, two second-round picks. Like, oh, it's crazy. Imagine Kyle Pitts and Devontae Smith on Miami, the Miami Dolphins. Or, I mean, t- just two-star receivers or running— like, the, the options are limitless. And so um, Jalen Waddle, like imagine what you could do with Miami with those picks if you don't need to draft a quarterback and building around Tua. So I'm, I don't know. I'm on the fence. I'm literally kind of rambling and ranting, sharing my thoughts as I go. But Miami definitely has a decision to be made. And I'm very disappointed that Tua did not deliver, did not play well on Sunday. And that I'm sad the Dolphins missed the playoffs. I really, I love their head coach, Brian Flores. I love what they're building. And they came up just short. And it's like, Oh, man, I'm so disappointed. I'm not surprised. I actually predicted Buffalo to win the game, um, but I'm just disappointed with the result of what happened with the Dolphins on Sunday. Uh, Let's shift gears to Cleveland. The Cleveland Browns head coach, Kevin Stefanski, tested positive for COVID. And so uh, with the Browns' upcoming playoff game, they're not going to have their head coach, Kevin Stefanski. He's at home right now preparing for the game. He's going to be involved in the game plan, but... Uh, you're missing, I mean, so the Browns, the reason why they made the playoffs was because of their head coach, right? Kevin Stefanski completely changed that organization, finally gave them the coach they needed, got them over the hump. And, uh, so Kevin Stefanski got COVID, some other coaches and other players got COVID as well. And now because they don't have their head coach, who is, I think probably the key focal point of their organization right now, they were likely going to lose anyway to Pittsburgh in the wildcard round of the playoffs. Now they're, in my opinion, most definitely going to lose. I, it's disappointing. They're probably going to lose, but it's eh, like I, I've already accepted it, so it's, I've moved on from that. However, when they and if they lose on Sunday, I don't care um, because the Cleveland Browns made the NFL playoffs for the first time since 2002. Like, oh my goodness! Like, yes, yes. I'm I'm not a Browns fan. I have never been a Cleveland Browns fan. I've never been to Cleveland. I've been to Cincinnati, Ohio. It's the closest I can ever say I've been. Um, but kind of a, if you've listened to the show for a, I've done the show now for three, four years, however long I've done it. And 
I've always kind of referenced the Cleveland Browns similar to the little engine that could. They're this team that is trying so hard to not be awful. And I, I was born in 1997. I'm 23 years old. Most of my life, the Browns have been a terrible, horrible organization. So to be able to say that the Cleveland Browns, who have, have been so bad for so long, they actually have my sympathy. That they went 11-5 and five and they made the playoffs this year. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's so cool to me. It's like, oh my gosh, what an amazing turn of events. And I love it. I don't really care win or lose in the playoffs. It doesn't matter. I mean, you got to go one step at a time. Step one was return the Cleveland Browns back to being a good team, get them into the NFL playoffs. They did that. Now they're going to miss their coach in the game. I think Kevin Stefanski is a huge part of the organization. I'm sad he's not coaching, but I don't care whether they win or lose. It wasn't about winning or losing in the playoffs. It was about getting there. Next year, hey, we can have higher expectations, make the playoffs, win a game or two, make a run. But this year, I'm just like, if you're a Cle- if you're in Cleveland, you're not upset that your team is going to lose in the playoffs. You're just happy. Like, oh my gosh, it happened. We got to the playoffs for the first time in years. Almost a decade, almost two decades. Is it a decade, 10 years? I don't even, I'm stupid. I don't know. How, almost 20 years it's been. And you made it back. It's pretty amazing. Now, I also want to, I want to get on this narrative very, very early. Once the Cleveland Browns lose to the Pittsburgh Steelers, you're immediately going to hear a lot of people say, it's time to replace Baker Mayfield. I can already hear it, and I can already imagine. They're going to say, wow, we got to replace Baker Mayfield. He's not the right quarterback. And he might even have a bad game on Sunday because, hey, guess what? Your your coach, who is the reason you're doing well, isn't allowed to be there. Not calling plays. He's not involved. And that's a huge deal. Like, you're missing the key part of your organization. And if the Browns lose without their head coach— And Baker does badly. Again, I'm telling you, everybody's going to be on the train. Replace Baker Mayfield. He's terrible. And I would say, first of all, why? Baker's played very well. Baker's played, uh, I thought early on he had some struggles. As he got more and more used to the system, he got better and better. And then there was a stretch of games where Baker uh, played in some cold weather. And I thought, managed the team very well. They won some games. And then Baker played very well at the end of the year. So first of all, I'd say, why would you replace Baker? He's playing very well. He's the number one overall pick, but he's also, he's on a cheap rookie contract and he's doing good stuff. So if you want to replace Baker Mayfield, I think you're crazy. I think some people have a, I think it's pretty clear. Some people in the media have a a really obvious hatred and a bias that's a bit uh, played up and silly and even, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Unfounded or um, they're just, they're hating on the guy. They're rooting for the guy to fail simply because that's what they want to see happen now. If you're any kind of objective on Baker Mayfield, you go, He's doing pretty well. He's fine. Here's the other thing. Go ahead and try to replace Baker Mayfield. How are you going to do it? With what draft pick? Uh, and uh, with what trade? Like, you going to trade for Matthew Stafford? Or are you going to, I mean, you're not going to have a good draft pick in the first round. Who are you going to get to replace Baker Mayfield? You can't get better than Baker. So I, I say not only is he doing well, you can't replace him anyway. What's your plan? You don't have one. You just are hating. So and I don't, I almost never say the word hater. I think it's stupid. But there are some people in the media who clearly just don't like Baker Mayfield at this point and are, have a vendetta against him and can't admit they were wrong about the guy at all. And so, um, I don't know. I, pr- buckle down, prepare for that narrative. It's going to happen. Come Monday morning next week, you're going to hear, get rid of Baker Mayfield. He's terrible. He sucks. And I'm just going to say it's already, I'm already over it. It's stupid. It's a conversation we don't need to have. Baker's your guy next year. You got the perfect head coach to build around him. And you can't blame Baker Mayfield for the faults of the past when he had Freddie Kitchens as his head coach, an awful, awful uh, head coach who was uh, never putting Cleveland in a position to succeed. And you can be mad at Baker for some immaturity early on. I think he's admitted his faults. I like Baker Mayfield a lot. I think that uh, I, I'm not, I, I, I'm fair to Baker. Like I, I know that Baker has had problems and Baker owns his faults and he owns his mistakes, but also uh, at this point, he's really matured. He's grown up a lot. He's a different quarterback. He's a different person. And I think he's playing very well for Cleveland. So don't you dare ha- start the narrative. Let's replace Baker Mayfield. It's stupid. It's terrible. Um, and if he plays poorly on Sunday, again, he doesn't have his head coach, the play caller, the guy who designed their offense, the guy who helped Baker succeed in the NFL isn't there. So I, I just have no problem. If Baker plays poorly, let's not lean into the narrative that he should be replaced immediately in Cleveland. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll talk about the Heisman Trophy. We'll talk about the fired NFL head coaches. We will talk about Drew Locke. 
Uh, I think he's in big trouble. We'll talk about the NFL playoffs, and we'll talk about the NFL draft. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope we're doing very, very well. Let's shift gears to college football briefly. Alabama wide receiver Devontae Smith just won the Heisman Trophy. Uh, And I'll be very honest, it was actually kind of the most boring Heisman Trophy I've seen in a long time. Uh, not, and this is not entirely fair. It's just that it was unanimous. It was obvious. Uh, I don't. I try not to seek controversy, but it's uh, whenever there's like a close race, and you're like, I don't, you know, is this guy gonna win or that guy gonna win? It's more fun to be like, oh wow, do you agree? Should this guy won the Heisman or this other guy? And it wasn't close this year. It was a unanimous decision, uh, pretty much at least, uh, that Devonte Smith was the Heisman Trophy winner. He's the best receiver in college football. He led the nation. In pretty much every category, he's the first receiver to win since Desmond Howard won in 1991. And I don't even know if I'm going to do, you know, I put my breakouts of my, you know, I do Strong Opinion Sports clips on YouTube where I put like the most interesting little segments that I think will do well. I put them out as clips and breakouts on YouTube. Uh, And I don't, I know this is a big story. The Heisman Trophy is a big deal, but I don't know that this is even worthy of a breakout because it's just not that. It's like, ah, and maybe it's like a two minute quick hit, but it's. I'm on the fence about it. Um, I, I, you know, the Heisman Trophy presentation in general, it was fine. Uh, I, I liked hearing some of it was forced. You know, like you're forcing the parents to say something nice about their kids. I thought the most authentic uh, and most, uh, and I don't know if it's because they knew before. I, I'm pretty sure that going into the event, you knew who won the Heisman Trophy, which I think made some of the other parents and other speeches less impactful. But uh, when Devonte Smith's dad talked about him, I actually teared up. I went, oh. That's so sweet. The guy said, I'm proud of him and who he's become. And um, I got to say that my favorite thing about Devontae Smith, other than like he, he's an incredible player. He shredded literally everybody all year. Uh, he's an undersized guy to some degree, and he's still just a phenomenal, phenomenal player. What I love about the guy, though, is that he doesn't seem to really want attention. He's, he's a very—the appearance of Devontae Smith last night was a guy who is a bit shy, a bit reserved, and very humble— who just wants to play football. And I like he's a, a guy who just wants to put it out on the field. And I that's the kind of guy I'd want on my team in a heartbeat. Uh, a lot of people play football because they want attention, they want recognition. And Devontae Smith almost seemed hesitant to get that recognition. He's a guy that wants to play football, and that's his number one focus. And so if I'm an NFL team watching that presentation, I would have gone, oh, man, that's the kind of guy I want in my locker room. Not a guy who's about himself, but a guy who's about doing well and just playing ball. And I, I love that. I love that about uh, Devontae Smith. He seems, again, I, I just love his attitude and soft-spoken and humble and uh, a very, very likable human being. I really don't have much more to add to that. It wasn't a controversial finish. It wasn't a close race. Pretty obviously, Devontae Smith was going to win the Heisman Trophy. It's well-deserved, and uh, I'm just happy to get to watch him uh, against Ohio State coming up in the national championship game. Should be fun. Should be interesting. And then I wonder if he'll be the number one receiver drafted in the 2021 NFL draft. I mean, it's, we'll see. I would think so. Uh, I know that size concerns some people, but I mean, look what he's done to people. He's just so, he, one thing that I forgot about Devontae Smith, remember that touchdown that Tua threw in his freshman year down the left sideline, that ridiculous pass for, I guess it was his sophomore year uh, to, a, was it? No, it was to his freshman year, that long touchdown against Georgia to win the national championship game. Guess who caught that pass? Devontae Smith. I had no idea. I never knew that Devontae Smith was the guy. I just somehow blanked from my mind. That's the guy who caught that pass. And he's the all-time leading receiver in career yards at Alabama. And I I just, Devontae Smith, well done. You're a wonderful human being. At least you appear to be a guy who seems to love football and uh, well-deserving of the Heisman Trophy uh, last night. Let's shift gears to this. The Denver Broncos have announced that they are in the hunt for a new general manager. They are going to be hiring a new general manager in Denver. Uh, John Elway is still the president of football operations, but he's going to be giving up control of the roster to hire another person to manage control of the roster and uh, player personnel and yada, yada. And that's, in my opinion, very, very bad news for Denver Broncos second-year quarterback Drew Locke. Uh, he, He just finished the second year going into his third year. And I, I've already been on the fence. However, I've said I want to see what Drew Locke can do next year and year two of the Pat Shermer offense uh, with a uh, healthy roster around him. However, 
now that they're hiring a new general manager, I go, uh-oh, that's not good. The guy better watch out. I think his job is in jeopardy. Because a new general manager is going to want to pick his own quarterback. If you are going to have a quarterback and you're a general manager in the NFL, you don't want to tie your career and your livelihood to a quarterback you didn't choose. And so we'll see. It's possible they keep Drew Locke, but it's more likely that the Denver Broncos, who have the number nine overall pick, a ton of weapons, uh, they could be drafting a quarterback in the first round. Here's what I really want to see happen in Denver, actually. Um, I think they're. I think they should trade for Matthew Stafford. the The Lions have the number seven overall pick in the NFL draft. Imagine if they were able to trade uh, the Matthew Stafford for the number nine overall pick. Then the the Lions would have two top ten picks. the The Broncos would get a quarterback that they very much need. Who I think Matthew Stafford, with the weapons they have in Denver and the defense they have coming back. I mean, that's Denver with Matthew Stafford is a terrifying thought. They're a very Clearly a good roster when they're healthy. And so um, keep your eye on that. I, I, if I, I, like, I like Drew Locke. I don't love Drew Locke. You know what I like way more than Drew Locke? Matthew Stafford in Denver. And so that's what I want to see happen. But either way, keep your eye on Drew Locke. I think he's in a lot of danger now that Denver's hiring a new general manager. They're going to want to bring in a guy who, sorry, excuse me, the new general manager is going to want to bring in his own guy that he picked who he believes in. Because the general manager's livelihood is tied to how well their quarterback plays and the quarterback they choose. So uh, we'll see what happens in Denver. I am not confident they're going to stick with Drew Locke. If I was already on the fence and I was out there a little bit, a lot of people disagreed with me saying they're not going to stick with Drew Locke. Now I'm like, oh, he's in big, big danger now uh, in Denver. Three new NFL head coaches were just fired. Uh, The Jacksonville Jaguars parted ways with Doug Marone, their head coach. They went 1-15, the number one overall pick. That was obvious, and we saw it coming. Uh, the Jets fired Adam Gase, who went 2-14, and 14, saw that coming. And the Chargers have fired Anthony Lynn, their head coach. Um, we saw that coming. It was People were asking for it. However, this is the one coach that got fired in the 2020, you know, after the 2020 season that I went... I don't know. I, I don't know that I would have done that. He went 7-9, and nine, had a bunch of injuries, kind of a tumultuous year with COVID and yada yada. And first of all, Anthony Lynn is likely to land on his feet. He's already actually been rumored to be the favorite uh, to be the new Minnesota Vikings offensive coordinator. And I think it's very possible that Anthony Lynn, who was known for kind of falling apart in his season, he might be a better coordinator than head coach, but he's definitely a, a very good man who I think knows some football. And I, I like Anthony Lynn. And I, I would imagine he's going to be okay down the road. He'll land on his feet. But here's my concern, and we'll see what happens with Justin Herbert. Uh, well, you have to give credit to Anthony Lynn and really Anthony Lynn's staff. I would actually give most of the credit to Pep Hamilton, the quarterback coach of the L.A. Chargers. Uh, Justin Herbert came from Oregon with a lot of problems. He came into the L.A. Chargers and got much, much better. And whether that's because... He didn't have to do with college classes anymore. That's a possibility. Uh, But I think also more likely, he got really good coaching from the Chargers. And so, man, to fire the coaching staff that helped get Justin Herbert much, much better feels like a big risk, actually. And I I, we'll see what happens. I I also don't know. There's not really a lot of availability right now in uh, the NFL for head coaches. And I, I don't I don't know who. The Chargers are going to hire. I'm pretty, I'm not very confident in this, this move. I really, I wish I was. I, I really, like, I have changed my tune completely on Justin Herbert. I'm very impressed. He's awesome. Um, but he got great coaching from the Chargers staff, specifically from Pep Hamilton, their quarterback coach. And you're not going to bring in a new coach and be like, you have to keep Pep Hamilton. That's weird and not quite right. You got to let the guy hire, the new coach hire whoever he wants to hire. But it, it just, oh man, I, I really don't know that I would have fired Anthony Lynn. I, we'll see what happens and we'll see who they replace him with. I have an open mind. Uh, but, you know, six coaches were fired this year. Uh, the Falcons fired Dan Quinn. The Texans fired Bill O'Brien. Lions fired Matt Patricia. Adam Gase. Doug Marone. The only coach I went, ooh, is that the right move? It was the Chargers firing Anthony Lynn. We'll see what happens. Um, but I, uh, I, don't, I, I don't feel that confident in the Chargers prospects for their new head coach but we'll see they might hire an amazing coach and do very well and I like Justin Herbert 
Uh, they clearly have a lot of talent on their roster, and I understand all the hatred for Anthony Lynn because he had a history of falling apart and losing leads and not doing very well at the end of games. Um, I understand all the hatred for the guy, but it's imperative you get a coach that can help Justin Herbert continue to progress going into his second year as the Chargers quarterback. And I'm, we'll, we'll just, it's really time will tell. We'll see what happens. And I, I'm nervous about that one uh, moving forward. I want to do two real quick informational uh, topics, just kind of sharing some facts and giving you guys some, uh, in, in case you don't know what's going on, this will help inform you a little bit. Here are the top 10 picks in the upcoming 2021 NFL draft with the number one overall pick of the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're likely to pick a quarterback, probably Trevor Lawrence. I would imagine, I'd be shocked if it wasn't Trevor Lawrence uh, to reset their franchise and rebuild their franchise and try to build from the ground up. They're hiring a new coach and they're likely going to bring in Trevor Lawrence with the number two overall pick. You have the New York Jets. Uh, it's going to be either a quarterback or they're going to keep Sam Darnold, their current quarterback, and draft likely Panay Sewell, a left tackle, although they already have Mekhi Becton. So maybe they draft Devontae Smith, a great receiver out of Alabama. I don't know. But the, the, the question here with the Jets is, do they keep Sam Darnold or they, do they draft really probably Justin Fields, a quarterback out of Ohio State? We'll see what happens. I don't really know what they're going to do. I don't know what I would do yet for them. Uh, I, if I were them, actually, I would draft Justin Fields. I think Sam Darnold is a great, is a really good quarterback who you can trade for some value. But Sam Darnold needs a, a just a reset and a, a fresh start with a new organization. So if I was the Jets, I would draft Justin Fields. But I wouldn't be shocked, given the progress we saw from Sam Darnold late in the year and his teammates in New York talked really highly of him as the year came to a close. It's very possible the Jets stick with Sam Darnold and build the team around him with their draft pick. Now, with the number three overall pick, you have the Miami Dolphins. They have two first-round picks. They have a number 18 overall pick. And then also, the number three overall pick they got from Houston in the Laramie Tunsil trade. Uh, the question here is, are they going to stick with Tua, their current, you know, their rookie quarterback who is going into his second year, who is, I think, very underwhelming in his rookie year? Do they stick with Tua and build around Tua, who Tua, if you build around him, could be much better? Or do you draft, likely, Zach Wilson, the BYU quarterback, and replace Tua? And then trade Tua away. We'll see what happens. I, I, this is the, if there's any storyline in the NFL draft that is most exciting to me and most fascinating and interesting, it's what in the world does Miami do with their number three overall pick? I'm curious about Sam Darnold. Do the Jets keep him or not? Although I would imagine that trade happens sooner than later. Uh, and in the draft, what do the Dolphins do? Do they stick with Tua or not? I, I have no idea what's going to happen. And uh, I don't know what I would do there. I, I actually lean towards replacing Tua. But imagine if you don't have to replace Tua, if you can keep Tua, who as I've, I've held up the jersey, I've shown him before. He's my favorite player in the NFL right now. I love the guy, but I love him as a person, not necessarily the way he's playing right now. He's struggling to push the ball downfield. Uh, the offense is very limited. Now, part of that is because he's got receivers dropping passes and not making big plays downfield. Like part of that is Tua needs help. Um, but I mean, imagine if you can draft Penny Sewell, the left tackle out of Oregon, and Kyle Pitts out of Florida, or uh, you know, Jalen Waddle out of Alabama. Like, if you can build around Tua, it feels like you could build a fantastic team. They got two first-round picks, two second-round picks. If you build an offense around Tua, you might be great. But also, maybe they replace Tua with another quarterback. And it's just a storyline to follow that I cannot wait to see what happens. The number four overall pick, you have the Atlanta Falcons, uh, another team that could draft a quarterback. Depending on what the teams above them do, I would be totally fine with seeing Atlanta draft Zach Wilson out of uh, BYU, and then trade Matt Ryan somewhere else, uh, maybe to, I mean, my dream scenario is Matt Ryan teamed up with Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco, like, oh my gosh, how, I mean, Matt Ryan won an NFL MVP with Kyle Shanahan as his offensive coordinator, so imagine what could happen if that trade happens, I think it'd be good for both parties, Atlanta gets to reset and get a new quarterback and a new coach and build around the new guy, and uh, the 49ers get a fantastic quarterback who I think could take them to a Super Bowl and potentially win with Matt Ryan teamed up with Kyle Shanahan. The Cincinnati Bengals, uh, the number five overall pick, they already have their quarterback, Joe Burrow. What I want to see Atlanta do is continue to build around Joe Burrow. Uh, in a dream scenario, they get a guy like, I mean, imagine if, if Panay Sewell can fall to the Cincinnati Bengals, it'd be amazing. I don't know that he lasts till the fifth overall pick. I'd be shocked, actually, if he did. Um, but if he does, you draft Panay Sewell in a heartbeat, perfect. Uh, if you can... If you can get somebody else, though, 
maybe Kyle Pitts, the tight end out of Florida. I'm spitballing here. I don't know what their needs are. I need to do more research, but the Bengals, uh, we'll see what they do. They have the number five overall pick. The Eagles have the number six overall pick. It's likely they're going to draft another receiver to build around Jalen Hurts, their rookie quarterback, uh, going into his second year. Uh, they could trade down, though, with a good offer. We'll keep your eye on Philadelphia. With the number seven overall pick, you have the Lions. Um, I think you go quarterback if you can, assuming there's anybody left that's desirable that you know late in the top ten. The Kind of the dream trade I want to see happen is I want to see the Denver Broncos trade for Matthew Stafford, the Lions quarterback, and then maybe the Lions. It, I don't know that you can get a first-round pick for Matthew Stafford because – you're also paying for the con- you're trading for the contract, which is very expensive. But imagine if the Detroit Lions can trade Matthew Stafford for the Broncos' number nine overall pick. Then the Lions would have uh, the number seven overall pick and the number nine overall pick in the NFL draft. That might be too high of a price for Matthew Stafford, but oh my gosh, it'd be amazing if it happened. With the number eight overall pick, you have the Carolina Panthers, another team that needs a quarterback. Like you have one, two, three, four, five. Sorry. One, two, three, four, five teams in the top eight that potentially could draft quarterbacks and might need quarterbacks, let alone if anybody trades up. I mean, maybe the Panthers trade up to number four with the Falcons, or they trade up to uh, probably not with the Falcons, their division rival. Maybe with the Eagles, they trade up or something. Uh, we could see Carolina trade up or trade down to try and get a quarterback or trade away. I don't know what's going to happen. At some point, Carolina is going to need a new quarterback to succeed Teddy Bridgewater. I don't know what they're going to do at quarterback. But I think if any team's going to trade up or down, it's most likely Carolina. You have the Broncos with the number nine overall pick. Uh, they, If they can draft a quarterback, they will. They have a new general manager coming in. Uh, I like them to trade away as well. I think they trade for a quarterback rather than like maybe Matthew, you know, Matthew Stafford or Matt Ryan. Um, I would like to see Denver trade that pick and go get a veteran quarterback who can help them. They have a great roster. Like, the, the Broncos don't need another young player. The Broncos need a quarterback. So if I'm the Denver Broncos, I'm trading that nine pick for a Matt Ryan or Matthew Stafford or, um, or, or drafting Zach Wilson maybe, but I think I'd rather have Matthew Stafford and Matt Ryan than uh, the number nine overall pick, oh, whatever, thing, whatever you can get from that pick. And the Cowboys, number 10, have the 10th overall pick. I don't know what the Dallas Cowboys are going to do. I, we'll see. I, I, I Honestly, I don't know what they need. They're, they need everything it feels like, and... Uh, I just keep your eye on the Cowboys. I, I'm informing you of the 10 overall pick. I don't know what they're going to do with the 10th overall pick, but the Cowboys are in the top 10 with the number 10 overall pick in the 2021 NFL Draft upcoming. Shift gears to another informational topic, the final topic of the day. Uh, and just in case, I know that I, I should have done this at the top, but I didn't want to bog down the show. And so I want to really quickly go through every team that made the NFL playoffs, their record, uh, share a little quick information if I can on them. Uh, in the AFC, the number one seed is the Kansas City Chiefs. They went 14-2. and two. They have a bye in uh, the first round of the NFL playoffs. And the number two seed in the AFC is the Buffalo Bills. Uh, they went 13-3. and three. I was very surprised, pleasantly, with the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen blew me away this year. I think he's awesome. Also, let me, let me briefly say, Kansas City was awesome this year. I think they have uh, – they're my Super Bowl favorite, but I want to see them against Buffalo. It would be really, really fun. The Bills, man, I really love what they're doing. I – I'd be, I'd be so happy to see Buffalo go on a Super Bowl run. It'd be really, really cool. The Steelers are the third overall seed in the AFC. They went 12-4. and four. Uh, So the Bills play the Colts in the wildcard round. The Steelers play the Browns once again in the wildcard round of the playoffs. That'll be a—I uh, would imagine the Steelers beat the Browns. Uh, the Titans are the number four overall seed. They're 11-5. The Ravens are the fifth overall seed. They are also 11-5. Titans will play the Ravens in the wildcard round of the AFC playoffs. I mentioned it earlier, the number six seed in the AFC is the Cleveland Browns. They went 11-5. and five. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy. I Now, the Browns do not have their head coach, Kevin Stefanski, in the NFL playoffs. But I, uh, oh, man, I just, uh, I, I don't really care that they're going to likely lose in the wild card round. I just think that it's amazing. It's so amazing that uh, the Browns are in the playoffs. They went 11-5. and five, They made the playoffs. My whole life, they've been terrible. And so to see them do well again is uh, they're like, I, I'm not a Browns fan, but I'm happy for them doing well. Let me go backwards real quick. Titans-Ravens should be really fun. Remember last year, the Tennessee Titans shocked the Ravens. Uh, Lamar Jackson won the MVP. I, I believe they were number one overall seed in the AFC. And then, bang, uh, they got kicked out of the playoffs uh, by the Tennessee Titans. It was a shock. It surprised everybody. 
And so keep your eye on this game. The Ravens want revenge on Tennessee from last year. The Titans are not uh, a very... Um, I'm not impressed with Tennessee's defense at all. They can't generate a pass rush. They struggle to throw the ball on third and long. They need to run the ball to win. And so I would pick the Ravens to win in a heartbeat over Tennessee in the wild card round. Uh, And it actually could be ugly. I think Baltimore is going to be angry and hungry for revenge. And Tennessee looks vulnerable. So uh, I I believe that the Ravens win pretty easily over Tennessee. But again, easily stupid to say because it's a playoff game. They're going to bring their best. And we'll see what happens in the wild card round. The final game of wildcard weekend of the AFC will be the Colts at the Bills. Uh, two teams that run the ball well. The Bills should win their better passing team, but oh my goodness, that should be a fun competitive battle. That's the, the first game on Saturday in the NFL. That'll be awesome. In the NFC, you have the number one seed Green Bay Packers. They went 13-3. and three. Uh, They're even better than they were last year. Man, uh, I don't know how you beat the Packers. I, I mean, I, I think we could see... Imagine if we see Packers and uh, Kansas City or Packers and Bills in the Super Bowl. That'd be a phenomenal game. It'd be really, really cool. Uh, the Saints are the number two seed in the NFC. They went 12-4. and four. The Saints are a team that it's it feels like Drew Brees' final year, but they're not the Peyton Manning-led Denver Broncos from a couple of years ago. When, Den- when Peyton Manning had like nine touchdowns to 17 interceptions, I know that Drew Brees is waning, but he's not being carried by his team. I mean, he's still winning games. He's playing very well, uh, and I... The Saints are dangerous, although I don't think they're as impressive as a team like the Green Bay Packers or quite as explosive as a team like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Saints are going to play the Bears in wildcard weekend uh, week one. Saints-Bears feels pretty obvious. I would imagine that the Saints pretty easily beat the Chicago Bears. I, in fact, I would be shocked if the 8-8, eight and eight, you, know, you know, the 7th seed uh, Chicago Bears beat the really impressive New Orleans Saints in the wild card weekend round. Uh, the number three seed team in the NFC is the Seattle Seahawks. They're 12 and four. Uh, Washington. So first of all, Seattle has problems. Their defense has come on strong as the year came to a close. They got a really potent passing game when they want to use it. But Russell Wilson has been up and down. I I am nervous that Seattle's going to lose wild card weekend. Seattle is playing uh, the Rams in the first round of the NFL playoffs. Now, I know that Seattle's got a better quarterback than the Rams, but the Rams' defense is very, very good, and I don't trust the Seattle Seahawks at all, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, this is a scattered segment. I'm doing my best to try to share a seed, but also talk about the games coming up. Uh, Washington is the number four seed in the NFC. They are 7-9. and nine. Tampa Bay is the number five seed. They're 11-5. and five. Tampa Bay will play Washington in the wild card round. Number one, Washington. So happy they made the playoffs. It's very, very cool. I... Uh, I there's so many good stories. I had a whole segment about it. Ron Rivera battling cancer. Alex Smith, who is he had a, a potentially career-ending injury, fighting back to make it into the playoffs. Like to to really fighting back to play it all, but then to get into the playoffs with that team. I know they won a really bad NFC East at seven and nine. They had a seven and nine record and made the playoffs, but they're a well-coached football team. And even though they're not very talented, they're well coached. Now, where they are very talented is on the defensive line. And that defensive line has a bunch of first-round picks, including Chase Young, the number two overall pick, who is the leader of that team. I'm impressed with Montez Sweat, his development being paired alongside Chase Young on the other opposite edge. Chase Young is a rookie who is a captain and a vocal leader in that locker room. Ben compared to Ray Lewis. Man, Washington is a terrible matchup for Tampa Bay. I mean, what I mean is that Washington could very easily beat Tampa Bay because Tampa Bay highly talented, very, very talented football team, tends to be undisciplined. Washington is the opposite. Not as talented, but very well coached and very disciplined. And if anybody can beat Tampa Bay from the NFC East, it is Washington. I know that the Giants did it earlier this year. Tampa Bay is a better football team. And Washington's defensive line against Tampa Bay terrifies me. I mean, I because Tampa Bay has a probably the greatest quarterback ever, at least in, as far as career success, Tom Brady. But he's not mobile. He really struggles. When you get pressure on Tom Brady with a four-man rush, the way that the Giants did a couple of years ago to beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl when Tom Brady was the Patriots quarterback, that's how you beat Tom Brady. You get pressure on him with your defensive line. If you, if you can get pressure on Tom Brady without blitzing, he's in trouble. And, I, man, Washington's got a very good defense and a good defensive line. So this game, Washington and Tampa Bay, it's the game. My dad's coming over to watch it on uh, Saturday night. It's a 5.15 kickoff on the West Coast. That's 8.15 
from the East Coast. I'll start it at 6 o'clock because I start the games late so I can fast-forward through commercials. Can't wait for this game. It's going to be amazing, uh, and I'm nervous for Tom Brady, man. I Chase Young is coming, and he is coming to destroy Tom Brady, and I, I'm nervous that I think Washington, if they can, if Tampa Bay can get through Washington, which is weird to say because they're a team with a 7-9 record, but Tampa Bay is explosive and could win a lot, but they have to keep playing well, and they're playing at a high level, but they got to be disciplined enough to beat Washington, and I honestly don't know that they are. Now, the Rams play the Buccaneers. The Rams are the number six seed in the NFC. They're 10-6. and six. They play the, sorry, they play the Seattle Seahawks in the wildcard round. Rams-Seahawks next weekend. Uh, it's the middle game on Saturday. You know, it's, you have uh, Colts-Bills in the morning, then Rams-Seahawks are the kind of second game in the second window on Saturday in the wildcard round. Jared Goff's struggling. Jared Goff, the Rams quarterback, is coming back from an injury and uh, has been really ugly at times this year. But the Rams' defense is really good. And I weirdly don't trust Seattle at this point in the year. I, they've been up and down. and um, Now, Seattle might rise to the occasion. They got an amazing quarterback, Russell Wilson. They got a star, amazing receiver, DK Metcalf, who might just say, you know what? The game is mine. Uh, but DK Metcalf against Jalen Ramsey, a really great corner in L.A. with the Rams, is a matchup that regularly Jalen Ramsey has won. And so I don't, I'm not going to pick a winner here. Uh, actually, you know what? I will. I will say that I, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't. My, my gut says Rams are going to win, but I don't trust Jared Goff. And I believe that Russell Wilson could rise to the occasion. So I'm going to pick Seattle to win this game, but I feel very unconfident in it. And it really could go either way. The Bears are the number seven seed in the NFC. They're eight and eight. They kind of failed their way into the playoffs. They lost to the Green Bay Packers week 17. The only reason the Bears got in was because the Arizona Cardinals couldn't beat the Rams in week 17 as well. The Cardinals lost to a backup quarterback, John Wolford. I, I got to watch that game. I haven't watched the Cardinals game yet. I couldn't bring myself to do it. I was kind of disappointed by the result. And it's like, ah, I'll watch it. We'll cover it later in the week. But uh, I, I cannot see a reality where the Bears beat the Saints in wildcard weekend. And that's kind of my recap of what's going on in the NFL playoffs. Even I wasn't expecting to do predictions there, but I just, hey, like I got the Bills winning. I got the Steelers winning. I got the Ravens winning. Then I have the Saints winning, the Seattle Seahawks winning, uh, and then, uh, man, Tampa Bay, Washington. I'm not going to pick a winner there. Probably, oh, man, I don't know. Uh, Tampa Bay, Washington feels like the game of the weekend, and it's going to be amazing. And I'm going to have pizza with my dad and my girlfriend and watch it on Saturday. Uh, and it'll be a great time. So enjoy wildcard weekend. Uh, I guess I'll, I was going to do a prediction show. Maybe I don't need to now because I just did it on the fly. But look, I love you guys. I appreciate you so much. Hope you have a great day. Uh, I'm going to end the show here. Love you. Appreciate you. Have a great day. But I'm bum. Bam. We are done.